Jam Session is a podcast where two guys who grew up in Dallas-Fort Worth discuss sports, craft beer, life, and their experiences living in one of America's most vibrant cities. If you love sports, you're going to love this show. If you love craft beer or you're curious about it, you'll love this show. Great conversations with good friends is what Jam Session is all about. Welcome. It's nice to have you here. I hope you enjoy it. I think you will. You're listening to the Jam Session Podcast. I was told that I could listen to the radio at a reasonable volume. With Cowboys insider... What's your name? Jean-Jacques Taylor. That's my name. Radio personality and craft beer expert, Matt McLaren. He's a very strange young man. He's an idiot. Comes from upbringing. And now, the Jam Session Podcast. It is indeed Jam Session. Subscribe, rate, and review. Hang out with us for a while, right here on the Jam Session Podcast, sponsored as always by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you have time for healing and renewal. But right now, that moment we've all been waiting for has arrived. Ladies and gentlemen, the radio, the TV, the podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. What up, Doc? I would be the non-sexy one. It's Matt McLaren. This is Jam Session, the podcast, version 236, asking simply that you prepare to be dazzled. If not entertained. And I think you will be very much so on this version. We got a lot of thoughts about that Dallas Cowboys draft class. It's in the books. The 2022 class is official. The Mavs start the playoffs. The Stars start the playoffs. Some dude has fathered 47 children. All of that on the podcast. Wasn't me. <laughs> I hope Just not. A, Good I Lord. Clear up all, all rumor and innuendo. Man, I'm surprised you could do that without having suffered some sort of an injury. You know, and maybe, <laughs> maybe you did this weekend. You were standing in line somewhere and a ceiling tile fell off and landed on your head. And you're like, what the hell? What am I supposed to do? Well, you're right. supposed to call Greening Law. And, and it's... Robert Greening, his team, the Green team at Greening Law, they handle all of that, man. Car accidents, malpractice, injuries on businesses, on the premises of businesses. They become your fierce legal competitor against the insurance companies. No, man, and they're terrific at what they do. And I, I like them because here's what happens, man. You call them up and say, hey, here's the details of my case. What do you think? And if they take you on as a client, well, it's great because – Go back and look at their website. They've got all kinds of awards. They take care of people. They do the best that they can. And when it's all said and done, bro, they give you the answers to questions you didn't know exist. They guide you through the whole process. Matt can tell you. And then they don't get paid unless you get paid, which to me is always the best deal. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, it's what it is. And as you mentioned, with the consultation being free, it's a phone call away. Find out if you've got a case, 972-934-8900. Again, that number, 972-934-8900. It's Robert Greening. Call him now, offices, Dallas, Texas. On our last podcast, all we knew was that Tyler Smith, the offensive lineman from Tulsa, was the Cowboys' first-round draft pick. We expressed what we expressed. I expressed my thoughts, and in, in, in Will McClay, we trust. I will say this. And before we look at the entirety of the draft, I love, capital letters, bold, I love what they did on day two. Sam Williams and Jalen Tolbert, are, to me, and I get it, I understand, and they probably did reach a little bit for Sam Williams, but I've always looked at guys like that. He wasn't going to be there in the third round. So what are you supposed to be like? Oh, well, we probably shouldn't take him because 
we are taking him 20 picks too high, but he won't be there in the third round. Yeah, but it's a slight reach. I mean, if you like the guy, you got to take him. I love both these guys, man. I, I freaking love what they did on, in rounds two and three. Well, I like the optimism. Now, what is it that you love about Sam Williams? I mean, I realize he's got 12 and a half sacks. He's got an explosive first step. But he, in general, he hadn't had, like, the kind of production you would think a star player would have. You're talking about a guy, he was very noticeable anytime you watched Ole Miss this past season. As you mentioned, the 12 and a half sacks. I mean, he's doing that against SEC competition. And he's a dude, he was first team all SEC. And you again, first team all SEC in a conference that has, has the Georgia and the Alabama and the A&M defenses in it. He was first team defensive line along with Jordan Davis and DeMarvin Leal and Devontae Wyatt. That's the kind of grouping that he is in. He's big. He is. He's just explosive, man. He's not like Will Anderson. I mean, let's not mistake and, and say, oh, my God, like this is Will Anderson. No. But I thought for a guy that has probably a ton of upside just based on the – and I've seen – I mean, I watched a lot of Ole Miss play last year, and he's one of those guys that you just kind of notice because he's very explosive. And I love the fact that Dan Quinn went to Oxford and worked him out and you kind of get the feeling that Dan Quinn's like, I got to have this guy. Like, get me this dude because I can turn him into something. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. He's got, I mean, he's got all the tools. They needed to pass rusher uh, since they didn't re-sign Randy Gregory because they'd rather have Dorrance Armstrong and one of the safeties. <laughs> Insert laugh track. Uh, but uh, I think he's a guy who can come in and help. And here's the thing it is to me, man. He needs to come in and supplant Dante um, Fowler. Dante Fowler's playing on his fourth team in in a four year in three years. Um, he's just a guy, and uh, there's no reason why a second round pick uh, shouldn't be able to come in. And uh, you don't have to beat him out week one, but you know, three four weeks into the season, he should be starting. Yeah, and then their third round pick, Jalen Tolbert, is a dude who can fly. Man, he is a deep threat. He is Cedric Wilson, but I think he might be better. We're talking about a guy, and and again, it's South Alabama. It's Sun Belt Conference. But I will say, if you're going to be drafted and you're going to play in the Sun Belt Conference, you better dominate that thing, man. And he did. Right. I mean, he, this guy, he averaged 18 yards a catch. Now, normally when you see guys that average 18 yards a catch, they're like, oh, he had 20 catches or he had 22 catches. He averaged 18 yards a catch on 82 catches. Doesn't get a whole lot better than that for a guy who's making plays on a regular basis. And we all know, if you're playing in South Alabama, they know the ball's coming your way. And so they still mm -hmm. weren't able to stop it. That, to me, is pretty impressive. Um, I thought it was interesting that the Cowboys asked Dak to talk to him before the draft. I did too, man. Uh, I mean, I think I've heard, I mean, you know, one of the all-time stories is when uh, I think Aikman, not just, I think he may have even worked out David LaFleur a little bit way back in the day. Then the Cowboys took him, with the 21st, with the, uh, took him in the first round. And when he didn't work out, it was like, oh, the guy Troy picked out, you know, wasn't any good. And so Troy was like, what are you talking about? They asked me to do a few passes. I did that. He wasn't my pick. I was just helping out the organization. Yeah. So it's always funny when you got the quarterback involved. Uh, but I guess Dak liked what he heard because they took him. I guess, man. But again, you were talking about a guy. There are only three players in the country that caught more than 70 passes and averaged 18 yards or more a catch. One of those, obviously, Jalen Tolbert. Another one was Jamison Williams. Now, I'm not saying this guy is Jamison Williams because he did it at Alabama. A lot of people thought before he got hurt, he'd be the best receiver. But uh, that's the type of 
of production that he got at the Sun Belt level. He averaged 122 yards a game. Seven out of the 12 games he had last year, he had over 100 yards. And two others, he had 94 and 95 yards receiving. And again, you look at it, the two best teams they played all season at South Alabama, they played 16th-ranked Louisiana Lafayette. He put six for 143 on them. Then he played against Tennessee, the Volunteers, like an SEC team. And I get it, Tennessee's defense is not Georgia or Alabama. It's still an SEC defense. He put up seven for 143 on Tennessee. This dude's a baller, man. I when they took him, I I was like, oh, this is I I just love it. I love I I cannot express to you how excited I am about these two guys. Well, you sound excited, and this is <laughs> this is good because you were you know you you had your Debbie Donner act going after the first round. I did. Beat. You're right. Um, but I think um, I think in general they got pretty good reviews from the people who are supposed to know this for the draft uh, because they got good value. Now you know the Cowboys are always willing to tell you when they took somebody above board and. A lot of the guys that they took, they had ranked higher. Yeah. So even though it's not a lot of big names in this class and it's not a sexy class, perhaps it's a class that will turn out to be far better than we thought. Well, again, you look at it and it's like, okay, they got what they needed, right? They got two offensive linemen. They got two defensive linemen, two linebackers, a cornerback, a tight end, and a wide receiver. They needed all those. Now, we can listen to whatever the Cowboys look. They're not stupid, even though they think we are. And they like to go on their post-draft press, go, we don't have any musts. No, no, these were just, you you drafted positions of need. You needed these guys. And I think the collective group of what it is, I like this class. Obviously, they're not all going to turn out. You know, they got some interesting guys in this class. Damone Clark, man, at later in the draft is a dude who's injured. But again, we are talking about an all-SEC first-team linebacker out of LSU you know, the other two All-SEC first-team linebackers, N'Kobe Dean and Will Anderson. I mean, that's the level of production that he had. I was going to say, not a bad group to, to have your name associated with. Yeah, man. So th- I think there's a lot of reasons for excitement here. and it, it, it's You try to temper it, but at the same time, I mean, you can make a case when you kind of go through this list. You know, I'm not going to sit here and say that I know a freaking thing about the other offensive lineman they took, the North Dakota kid, Matt, L- Matt Willetsko. Never heard of him in my life until they drafted him. <laughs> Don't know. Is he going to turn into anything? Maybe he will. Maybe he won't. He's a fifth-round guy. Maybe you get lucky and you hit on a dude who can at least be a rotational piece for you when somebody, one of the starters has to miss a few snaps. Right, right, right. Um, but you know, I think, uh, I think Damone is the same way in terms of they took a chance on a guy who's a really good player, mm-hmm. see if he can recover from that um, – Neck fusion, although, you know, Leighton Vanderish had something similar and hasn't had any issues. Just any time a cat has, you know, spinal fusion, yeah. and you're talking about NFL, and you're talking about linebacker, I got to be like, I don't really expect you to do anything. Yeah, and, and you never know. And that's the thing. Again, like, uh, first team All-SEC, well, then why was he available in the fifth round? Because of that. And it's very, very likely that he starts the season on the pup list and will miss a chunk of the season. So... We'll see how it goes for him. John Ridgway, the nose tackle out of Arkansas, is just a beast of a human being. I mean, he's a space eater. But again, he's a fifth-round guy. I, I do. It's interesting to me, that's only the third time in Cowboys history they've drafted a player out of Arkansas, and just the second time since Jerry Jones has owned the team. Um, I thought it was interesting because they typically have low regard for one technique, a nose tackle, a big guy a first and second down guy. They always want their guys to be much more flexible, have some mm-hmm. pass rush ability. So I think if you look at the draft, bro, 
two offensive linemen, two defensive linemen, a tight end from Run Happy, Wisconsin. Yeah. Seems to me like uh, they were embarrassed or uh, became self-aware after getting their ass kicked on both sides of the line of scrimmage against San Francisco and said, uh, by hook or by crook, as my mom used to say, we got to get better. Yeah, it, it does kind of re- really reek of that. Like, we get it. You know, they went out and got this dude, Jake Ferguson's the tight end that you're talking about, who was their fourth-round pick out of Wisconsin. He holds the Wisconsin school record for most games with a catch. He was a four-star recruit out of high school. I've seen him compared to Hunter Henry, and if that's what he ends up becoming cool, you know, th- this is not the Trey McBride of the world who is probably clearly the best tight end available coming out of college. But this is a guy who can block. And since Dalton Schultz struggles with that, you can at least put this guy in the game to block and he can run some routes and he has good hands. Now, what does that mean long-term? I don't know. But it's also important to remember when they drafted Jason Witten, it's not like Jason Witten was considered like, oh, look at this guy. He's a can't-miss tight end prospect. (laughs) I mean, he was drafted in the third round. No, I'm not saying this guy's Jason Witten. I'm just saying you, you can find pieces, and, and if you can block, and then maybe they can use you in some other ways. And this dude, from everything I've seen and read, he, he can block. Yeah, and if nothing else, maybe he's a Dalton Schultz clone, and you let Dalton Schultz walk after this year, mm-hmm. uh, clean up $10 million off your salary cap, promote that guy, and go find you another tight end. Yeah, that's my goal, man, because I'm in a – so I, I – <laughs> well – so I play in a fantasy football league that you're very well aware of. You went to our draft the one time, but I also got roped into another one by a friend of mine last year, and it's a it's a dynasty league where our draft happens at the same time of the NFL draft, and we're actually drafting rookies like the NFL teams are. Wow. And so Jake Ferguson is on my list because of what you just said. The Cowboys needed a tight end. I don't know that they're going to pay a contract to Schultz and that they tag him, you let him walk. And so maybe in the future, Ferguson becomes like that next starting tight end for you. So I'm going to end up drafting him and I'm probably going to take him like in our fourth round. But it, it, it's interesting, man. When when you look at this draft class all in all, I, I feel, and they're very, very high on Tyler Smith. He's got a lot of upside, but they're going to have to develop him. But it feels like you've got, you should, have a guy that's going to come in and start for you at left guard. You should have a guy that at worst is rotating in opposite Tank Lawrence in Sam Williams. And you should have a guy probably that's going to be a starting wide receiver very early on as Michael Gallup takes some time to get back that you feel like can stretch the field a little bit and take the top off of a defense and can play on the edges. And and eventually, this might be a thing where you have Tolbert and Gallup on the outside and CeeDee Lamb is mainly your slot guy. Yeah, I think I can see a lot of that. You know, I think the main thing is you want to get the best, whatever the best matchup is possible for CD on a given uh, game or series or moment or whatever. But I think they got. I think the first four picks will come in, and to me, they should all play. You know, between five hundred, seven hundred snaps, which means you're a significant contributor uh, to the team. And the rest of the guys, uh, you know, got to be uh, dynamic on special teams. And then I guess. Uh, we'll have a swing tackle um, either from uh, this guy or from uh, Josh Bell or Ball, the fourth-round pick last year mm-hmm. uh, that they got. Those two guys will be competing for who's going to be the swing tackle, and we'll keep it from there. Now, I did think it was interesting, and, and we've talked about this, and I saw Todd Archer tweeted something out about it as well. We've talked about ever since Will McClay's come in that they like these big power five school guys. They like big yeah. school guys. And you look at this draft class, 
First rounder out of Tulsa, third rounder out of South Alabama. Then they get into the fifth round, their two first fifth round picks, North Dakota and Fresno State. <laughs> Fresno State via Sacramento State. Right. And I thought, I just kind of thought, man, it's now granted their other five guys were all big power five guys, but it was interesting that what was that four out of their first six picks were all smaller school guys. Trust me, I was noticing that because as I told you, Will has told me in the past that you know small school guys typically got to walk on water uh, for me to take a look at them. And you know we've all said you can have an outlier, but what you don't want is a team full of outliers. So you know this is uh, clearly kind of an outlier draft, but uh, maybe it means those guys are really capable, really good because we know that's not the way they like to roll. Not at all. So there it is, the Cowboys 2022 draft class. And again, as I said, Tyler Smith, you you don't want to have a bust in the first round, obviously. Hopefully he develops into what they believe he can be. Like we talked about on our last podcast, you have to give Will McClay the benefit of the doubt. If nothing, he has earned that. And I'm very excited about those two dudes they got in rounds two and three. I, I like... I'm not going to sit here. I, I'm not that guy that goes, oh, you know, I mean, John Ridgway in the fifth round was an unbelievable steal. I, I, I can't believe he was there. <laughs> you know, once you get past the third round for me, unless I saw a lot of them at, at play in the SEC, like I saw Ridgway and I saw Clark because I watched a ridiculous amount of SEC football. But really, it's those top three rounds where I kind of know the guys a little bit more. And once you start getting right. and in like sixth, seventh round, I'm like, who gives a crap? No, I mean, six, seven rounds. I mean, basically, after the fifth round, you're throwing – after the fourth round, you're throwing darts. Yeah. You're looking for guys who are kind of one trait specific and see if we can get this guy and we can really enhance that one trait and maybe they can develop into something. Uh, but, you know, here's to me the question, and I realize all the excitement that people like Matt and some other people may have about the draft, and I don't think it was a bad draft. I think it was a boring draft, and there's definitely a difference. But let me ask you, just off of paper, because that's all we can go on for now, they don't look like a better team to me than they were last year, despite what the owner and general manager has said. I don't know how you can say that they are. It, again, because not all these guys are going to turn out. I mean, like I said, you can get excited like I did about Williams and Tolbert, but they could bust. We, we, don't, we have no idea. I mean, I could sit here and say, well, yeah, I like Jalen Tolbert. He's exciting. The dude had 18 yards of catch on average on 82 catches. I could also, as we did, kind of, he played at South Alabama. For all we know, he gets to the NFL, and he can't separate against NFL cornerbacks. Right, right. You know, and, and, and Sam Williams, it's it's very difficult, and I don't like any time they do this where they go, because we're not stupid, and they think we are. You're not having all nine of these guys making the team. It's not going to happen. And I get you're excited about all these picks, but the reality of it is you had proven commodities. In some cases that were all pro-level, multiple-time pro bowlers, Amari Cooper, in some cases, guys that you wanted to pay $15 million a year <laughs> and Randy Gregory because you valued him that highly. And so for you to try and act like you're a better team now when proven talent like that is not here, it's just, it's a farce. I think that um, that's what they like to do, man. They come up with that revisionist history all the time. And, you know, that's why I'm like when when, they, when Jerry says look at the draft and uh, look at the talent on this team and it's going to be, you know, is, is better than the team we had last year. You're just like, come on, man, really? So I try to write these things down, man, and hold them accountable, much like our friend Clancy Hill Jr. does. Just because they say whatever they say 
at the moment, and then they, you know, they play revisionist history later. Yeah, it is exactly what they do, man. And and here we are on it now, and I hope they're right. I hope that the fact that they they let Randy Gregory that it didn't work out, not that they let him, that it didn't work out. I hope yes that now they get these other guys and those guys are more productive. We'll find out. For all we know, the Randy Gregory contract would have bit him in the ass, and it'll bite Denver in the ass. We don't, it's but yeah. You oh, yeah, you can't I mean, you can't smartly say that this team right now is better on paper than it was a year ago. No, because the guys that they left, the, the starters and key contributors that left, they haven't replaced. I don't think any of them with better proven commodities. So I don't think they're better. You know, they could be better by the time the playoffs roll around next next year. I think next season. I think that's the point Jerry was making, which was give give them time to get in, into the season. And he also talks about you know improvement from like a guy like uh, Trayvon Diggs, who's in his second year. You hope is better in his third year, stuff like that. But uh, I don't know, bro. They still got a long way to go, and I think your Philadelphia Eagles closed the gap. Dude, did you see my tweet the other day? And I hate to say this. You guys, I think everybody who listens to the podcast is probably fully well aware of this. There is only one program, franchise, sports entity on the planet that I hate more than Philadelphia, and that's A&M. Okay, that, that's the level of hate I have for the Philadelphia Eagles. I cannot stand them. Sorry, Trey, but most of the 99.9% of their fans are jackasses. I hate the Eagles, and I will tell you this, I love their draft. Dude. I love what they did in this draft. I loved the A.J. Brown trade for them. I love the fact that they got Jordan Davis. I And I'm telling you this, I get the injury situation with N'Kobe Dean. If you watch Georgia play at all, and I watched them, I think, 10 games last year, N'Kobe Dean, out of all the guys on their defense that got drafted, N'Kobe Dean was the one that you're like, my God, that dude is everywhere. <laughs> so even if they have to redshirt him a season... That dude can flat out ball. He's undersized. Well, so was Sam Mills, and so was Zach Thomas. All I know is that when you go watch Georgia from last year, and and I'm telling you, N'Kobe Dean is the guy who you're just like, holy hell, man. Every time there's a tackle, every time there's a play being made, N'Kobe Dean is there. And they got him in the third round. And I think it's just going to be a matter of, um, you know, I think he's got a pec injury, so at some point right. he'll need to go have surgery and get it fixed. Whenever that is, does it really matter? Um, you either like him and his skill set or you don't. Uh, but, you know, a team like the Cowboys, they may have just thought, we can't wait on anybody this year. we got to get guys who can go. We can't take any redshirt guys. It's it's pretty nuts, man. And then Cam Jurgens. I mean, hell, it's like, oh, Kelsey? Oh, okay, cool. We'll just plug and play, we'll plug and play uh, Cam Jurgens. I mean, it, it's... I hate to say it, I really do, but I, I, if I'm an Eagles fan, I'm, ex, I'm ecstatic about our draft. Well, I, oh, I think the, um, you know, nobody, no NFC East team has repeated since the Eagles in 03, 04. Um, and I think they've got a great chance to knock off Dallas now. Dallas has an edgy quarterback, uh, but, you know, adding A.J. Brown, the receivers, I mean, to Devontae Smith now and what they've done in the draft uh, to fix the run defense mm-hmm. or improve it and Dean. Uh, well, you know, I'd say they're about neck and neck right now, bro. Yeah, and, and you got to like Washington. If Dotson, and I wasn't huge on Dotson, but if Dotson, in, he doesn't have to be a number one. If he can just be a great compliment to Terry McLaurin and give them somebody else to throw the football to, all of a sudden you're helping Carson Wentz. And then what do they do? They go out and they add to their Alabama defense with Federian Mathis on the defensive line. And then Washington in the third round goes and gets Brian Robinson, the running back from Alabama. And Antonio Gibson... 
who was one of the best running backs in the NFL last year. He has got an injury history or misses games here and there. Robinson's that type of guy who can play all three downs. If you need to spell Gibson a little bit and bring Robinson in, you can. I like what Washington did. And, and then he, even taking Sam Howell, which is interesting because there has not been a fifth-round quarterback in the seven-round era who has done jack shit. I mean, we're talking A.J. Feely and John Skelton are the best fifth-round quarterbacks. <laughs> you know, generally speaking, if you're a fifth-rounder, you, the guy's got to get hurt in front of you, and you're hoping to God you get enough time to show what you can do. But right. Sam Howell was a guy who many people thought coming into 2021, the football season, that Sam Howell would be a first-round draft pick, and they got him in the fifth round, so we'll see. But and Why I, do you I, slide so much? Man, I, they just nobody liked these guys. And I don't know what it was. Sam Howell and Spencer Rattler came into the season as the presumptive, like the presumptive Heisman Trophy favorites. And if you'll remember, like in the very beginning of the season, like leading up last year, it was Spencer Rattler, Sam Howell probably go top five in the NFL draft. Then the season plays out. Howell did not have a good season whatsoever. He lost a lot of weapons last year at North Carolina. And I think people just didn't realize the impact that that would have on their entire offense. Right. And then you look at Spencer Rattler getting benched in the Texas OU game and never got on the field again, basically. And it's just interesting to see that. And, you know, this whole quarterback class was weird. It, it, it's weird that Kenny Pickett went and we did not see another quarterback go in for forever. I mean, until the third round when three went late in the third round. The last time we only saw one quarterback taken in the first 74 picks or whatever that was, was 1996 when Tony Banks was the only quarterback taken in the first 84 picks. I think uh, I think perhaps organizations are getting a little bit smarter. They're like it's it's one of the hardest positions in the world in professional sports, no matter what the sport is, to play. Uh, there's a limited number of people who who are really good at it. Let's stop trying to convince ourselves that these guys are good at it when they're not. <laughs> and I think that's what they did this year. They're like, yeah, we could dream a dream and make uh, Howell into this and Malik Willis into that or Desmond Ritter into this. But the reality is they're probably at this level. So let's yeah. just keep them there. Yeah, and, and and we've talked about this. You know, more so maybe than any other position in sports, if you miss because of the investment of a first-round quarterback, a guy that you know because you put him in the first round, you've got to put him out there the money that goes into that, and you got to give them a sample size to see is he the guy or not. If you do it that early and you miss, you've set your franchise back who knows how long. Look at the New York Giants. Yeah. I mean, look at them. Um, I love what they did on their offensive-defensive line in the, uh, in the first round. If they had a quarterback, they'd have a shot right now, but Daniel Jones is just a guy. And so now they've got to start the quarterback journey once again because they missed with a top 10 pick who probably shouldn't have been a top 10 pick yeah and they declined getting his fifth year option so uh, next year's quarterback class is supposed to be one of those strong ones and we all know bryce young and cj stroud are going to be at the top and they're probably going to be one two i wouldn't be surprised okay let me just ask you this i'm just asking uh bryce young he ain't but like five eleven six fifty right he's very small yes so can he play the nfl game I mean, I haven't. I, I watched Alabama this year, but obviously, you not watched them like, yeah. like, like an NFL scout. Well, I mean, he can make all the throws, but again, and this is one of the knocks on Tua coming out, is 
it sometimes can be difficult because he doesn't have a lot of tight windows to throw into because their receivers. I mean, Alabama just had their, what, their fifth wide receiver drafted in the first round in the last three years. Right. You know, so these guys that are coming in, one thing about Bryce Young last year that really jumped off is his ability to navigate the line. of He's very Russell Wilson-ish to me. Right. Where he's kind of a smaller guy. He's 5'11". He's probably 180, maybe 185. Right. But his ability to move laterally, like he, he can escape the pocket, but he doesn't necessarily just take off and run. Like he will move down the line of scrimmage to buy himself time because their offensive line, they had one of the worst offensive lines in the SEC last year. He was under a lot of pressure and still put up really good numbers, getting hit constantly, got banged around a lot and was under a lot of pressure. So in that situation, yeah, he's smaller in statue, but to me, he's like a Russell Wilson clone. All right. All right. I was just checking. He's got zip, man. He can throw it. But we'll see. So that's the NFL draft. The quarterback's a little bit of a surprise. The Nakobe Dean fall was a little bit of a surprise. But outside of that, I mean, day three, it's not like I'm sitting here going, oh, my God, that guy was taken in the fifth round. What? You know. <laughs> but it's in the books, and we'll see what the Cowboys, you know, get the rookie camp here in the next couple of weeks or whatever, learn a little bit about these guys. Who knows? Nobody thought Micah Parsons was going to turn out to be the next Lawrence Taylor rookie. No, but they had him as their number one defensive player on their board. And he he had been an impact college player uh, until COVID hit. So, you know, let's compare apples to apples, um, so to speak. I mean, nobody's thinking that a dude from Tulsa that most of us never heard about until the last few months who's making a meteoric rise up the draft board um, you know, playing an offensive lineman yeah. as a new position. Nobody thinks he's going to come in and be a stud, although you hope like hell that he will be. Very true. So we'll move on here. We'll take a trip around the block. And before we do that, we'll tell you about Brews Biltong. Have you ordered it yet? Have you got your snack bags? They have larger bags. They also have the two-ounce snack bags. And that's what Jacques and I like because it's 240, 240 calories, and 30 grams of protein in the two ounce bag it's like a perfect snack and, and again it's like beef jerky but it's not it's a traditional south african air-dried meat it's better if you like beef jerky you're gonna love built on yeah man here's the deal it's succulent it's juicy it's tasty uh i ride with the slice built on comes in this little pouch and uh i love it y'all know i like to work out 30 grams of protein is a guy lifting weights his dream uh, that's what I roll with, man. And it's only got 240 grams, calories. It's all good, man. Perfect snack. It is. I mean, it is just so good. And the best part is anytime you order it, this is for Jam Session listeners only. It could be your first order. It could be your 20th order. It doesn't matter. Use that promo code JAM15 at checkout, and you will always get 15% off your order at brewsbiltong.com, B-R-U-S-B-I-L-T-O-N-G, it's bruise biltong. So this trip around the block, man, you sent me I mean, you sent me some wild stories. And so before we get into those, I just wanted to throw this out there because my niece, which is crazy to say, but I am an uncle for the first time ever. Many know that I have an 11-year-old son, but I've never, neither one of my brothers has ever had a child until yesterday, April 30th, my niece Riley Rose McLaren was born to my brother and his wife. And man, he sent us a couple of pictures and it's just, it's really awesome. It's very, very cool to sit here and say, I have a niece now. 
that's a very pretty name. It is. And I'm and I'm not just saying that because if I didn't think so, I just would have let it pass. Uh, but that's a, that's got some nice alliteration to it. Uh, yeah, I like that. He did well with that. Yeah. Uh, Mark, congratulations to him and his. Uh, she's more than a lady friend now. She a baby mama. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, they they've been married <laughs> three years, I think. Three years, and they their their first kid and. It's just awesome, man. And it, 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 I think I've mentioned this before, but she's the first girl that has been born a McLaren since my dad's older sister in the mid 40s. Wow. How about that? Yeah, because after her what kind of discrimination y'all got going on over there. I don't, you know, my my dad was born and then my dad had three boys and then I had a son. And until now, neither one of my brothers had ever had a kid. So wow. there, there just hadn't been any girl McLarens unless they had married into the family. And she's the first one in, what, 80 years, something like that? Kind of cool. So, awesome. Welcome to the world, little Riley Rose. Maybe one day you'll be drunk in college and like, my uncle used to do this podcast. Let's listen to it. <laughs> you never know, man. <laughs> All right, so you sent me a couple of things that just tripped me out, man. But the first one, I, I like when you when you sent this, I'm sitting here and I'm and I'm reading I was laughing it, when I sent it. And I, I'm I'm going, okay, this has got to be fake, right? Like there's no way. Because the headline says sperm donor with 47 kids says he can't get a date. And then I thought this is not real, but it's TMZ, so you know, I mean, TMZ's always got everything. He said <laughs> he's 30 years old, he's been donating sperm since he was 22. He has 47 biological kids, and there's another 10 on the way. <laughs> no, I mean, he's not, he's not like their, he's their dad, but he's not their dad. He's not, yeah, I mean, he's, he's just a donor. He he's says, like a surrogate mother. See, now this is really weird, because there's a picture of him, and he is wearing a t-shirt. It says sperm donor, and has his Instagram on it. And he says okay, that so he, he so he he's trying. this. He says a thousand mothers have hit him up for his man stuff. He's been donating for eight years. Now he does it for free over social media. And he says that tons of women hit him up on Instagram, but only to seek his swimmers. It's very hard for him, he says, to find a real connection. <laughs> I mean, I don't, this is so weird, dude. The best part about this. He says he's currently on a sperm donation tour around the world, visiting various countries, hoping to donate sperm. <laughs> I mean, what's his deal, man? I think he just gets off of knowing he's got That's so all weird. these people carrying his DNA around. I guess. I mean, this is really weird, man. I don't, I don't know. He says that his secret to not firing blanks is an organic diet including 18 different supplements and herbs a day, and he does not drink, consume caffeine, cigarettes, or drugs. <laughs> Doesn't sound like much fun to me. <laughs> That's why I can't find a date. See, I don't know how I, like, okay, so if you met somebody, yeah, and they're like, yeah. hey, you know, they've used me, and I have 47 biological children, but... I don't know. I mean, when I was in college, there was a time I thought about donating some because it, it, it pays fairly well. Does it now? What does it pay? I don't remember. I'd have to look it up and see what it is these days. But, you know, you'd have buddies that would be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go donate platelets or sperm or something like that. No, no. I've heard about, uh, I've heard 
platelets, but we called it something else. All right, so here, here's Plasma the, or whatever. So this is from a sperm donor website. It says, on average, sperm donors are paid between 100 and 150 per donation visit. So well, if you go well, once or yeah. twice a week, you can, own, you, you can earn you know, a few thousand bucks in a few months. Hell, I don't know why you're not going every day. I mean, so for like a college student, I remember that because we were like, man, if we went like three times a week, that'd be like almost an extra 500 bucks or whatever. And you're doing it anyway. Pretty much. I mean, especially, you, you know. Might as, might as well get paid for it. Yeah, see, and that's, that's the crazy thing. But they say that you can earn up to $1,500 a month, healthy men between 18 and 39, depending yeah. on where you go. But then you got to do it on commands, like being a porn star. I don't think it's as easy as, as people think. Yeah, I don't know, man. That, that might be one of those things where you just go in there, and I, I don't know how that works. I mean, we've all seen movies. You're in, a, you're in an antiseptic room. You got to turn on the mood light yeah, and your soft music. And then you got to look at their rack of movies and magazines or whatever your, your uh, self-starter kit of choice is and go to work. It's pretty wild. So, yeah, that story, that's true. That is a true you, story. And then you got to hit the container at the end. That's what they say. Okay. Don't think that's some easy task. I, I don't know, man. I've never donated. Oh, I had to do it once. Did uh, you? It's terrible. Dude, this is this is the funniest thing of all time. That had to be awkward as hell. I mean, it's a part of life. A lot of people go through well, this, like when they're trying to conceive out. and stuff. Check this out. It was never really a big part of my life. I was fortunate enough; other people did it for me when I was a teenager, and so it's just not a. It wasn't a big deal. And so, because I was older, and my wife was older, they're like, "Oh, we got to do some special tests before we we you know you start this conception program." Yeah. I said, all right. And he says, well, yeah, I need a sample from you. I was like, what kind of sample? Uh, you know, a uh, sperm sample. I go, how are you going to get that? <laughs> and he, <laughs> he goes, well, you can come up to the office and do it. We've got a room and some magazines. Da, 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 da. I, and so I said, okay. And then uh, I think I sent my wife to the car and I doubled back. Hey, I Guys, I, told, I said, dude, I don't really think, I mean, that's not really like what I do. I don't know that I could come up here and do this. What, what, you know, what alternative is this? Surely I'm not the only guy that ever told you that. And he goes, well, would it help if your wife was in there with you? I go, no, I think it's just, it's just, you know, I just ain't going to be able to get down like that. I don't, I really don't think so. Huh. And uh, he says, well, the only thing I can tell you is. Perhaps you can do it at home, but you've got to get here within 20 minutes or it's no good. And I said, okay, I might be able to do it at home. Maybe. So I went home and, uh, you know, waited for everybody. Whenever the next time I was home alone or whatever. Went and did it. Congratulated myself. And then I was like, oh, there's no time to pat myself on the back. I got to get to the doctor which was like a 20-minute drive, or a 15, 20-minute drive. So anyway, I'm breaking all kinds of speed records, but I got it there in time, bro. And, and, and AJ is about to graduate now. Huh. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> so I don't know if I could have made her money, but maybe I'd, maybe I'd have been more, uh, more diligent in, in my efforts had I known they were paying that much. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a chunk of change, friend. 
And there you go. Mark it down. It was podcast 236, and we got the jock sperm story. <laughs> God. Uh, All right. Boy, I feel better now that I got that off my chest. I'm, I bet you do. So the other story, and, and you sent this over too, and I had heard about this before, but apparently it is seen like a skyrocketing in, in popularity because of the pandemic. And that is men having cosmetic procedures done, including having their legs lengthened so that they can be taller. What the hell is wrong with people, man? Love yourself. So Love yourself. This is interesting. This, it's a story about a guy named Scott who's 25 years old. He was five foot seven. He had limb, leg limb lengthening surgery. And after the surgery, he will be 5'10". He will gain at least three inches. And basically the way that, I mean, this has got to be unbelievably painful because they say that it's an elaborate procedure where a doctor breaks both of your femurs and inserts a titanium rod that slowly expands inside the patient's body, making them permanently taller. Doesn't it feel like just so much could go wrong? You think? I'm talking about throughout the whole process. I'm talking about when they, while they're in there, they do something and mess it up. The healing process is not right. The rods don't work right in terms of extension. Once they're in there, they get infected. It just seems like so much can go wrong for two or three inches of height. God, I mean, that is just... And there's an, there's an interview with this one doctor. It's out in California. He says he does about 30 to 40 of these types of surgeries every year now. And that apparently cosmetic procedures for men have gone way up since the pandemic, including things like Botox and stuff like that, because men spent time looking at and worrying about apparently their faces because they were on Zoom staring into a camera and seeing what they look like all the time, and they started obsessing over it. Oh, I believe that. That's amazing. I mean, if you're, I mean, if you're on TV on a regular basis, then you're really very well aware of what you look like, because if you aren't, somebody calls in and tells you. Uh, so I can see how if you're on Zoom calls all the time, you care more about your appearance uh, because you got more people looking at you all the time. And the vanity within all of us, uh, and some of us have obviously higher degrees than others, but I think the vanity within all of us can get you if you're not careful, bro. And apparently that's what happened to this guy. So it's $75,000 for the procedure. The average American man is 5'9", which I didn't realize it was even 5'9". Yeah, honestly. I mean, so I am a quarter inch under 6'3". I'm 6'2 and 3 quarters. Right. So, I am five nine even. So you are dead on like this the see and to me, and this is what's interesting, I guess, because a lot of the times, like anywhere I go, like I don't feel like I'm that tall because my dad is six five, Mark is six five. And so I've always been like a, a couple of inches shorter than my dad and, and even my youngest brother Mark, when he became a full grown man, was slightly taller than me. Right. So I've never thought like I like I know that I'm a tall guy. And sometimes I think about it like we'll go places and there are times where I'm the tallest person, but I'm not like, to me, I'm like, I'm not that tall, like six, seven or something. And I've known guys that were six, seven. And I'm like, holy hell, I feel like a dwarf. 
Because I'm not like, like, it's weird. Like when you're generally speaking, if you put me in a group of like 30, just random people, there's a good chance I'm the tallest person or the tallest guy is like six, four, six, five. And I'm pretty, I'm right underneath him. Right, right, right. And so when you're around somebody, and that's what's interesting is like a lot of people that are shorter, they're so used to everybody being taller than them, they don't think anything of it. When I'm around people that are taller than me, like six, seven, I'm, I, it makes me feel really small. Like it's Plus weird. I think, I think dudes who are short obviously have a bigger issue because what's, what is it? Women want tall, dark, and handsome. Yeah. And so I think dudes are forever trying to hit a certain height threshold. I mean, I, I knew for a fact at least one woman who's a friend of mine could be, I used to have conversations with her about it. Like I don't date men under six feet. I go, so billionaire under six feet, no, you can't get the digits, you can't get the IG from you. Well, you know, that's an exception maybe, but no, you know, I'm talking about like really serious, yeah. like I get guys, no, nope, just not going to do it. So I said, I wonder how many good dudes you've missed out. So 5'11 is out, six foot is in. Well, you know what I mean. Uh, da, 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 da. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but, right. You know, but uh, still, there's a lot of women who, uh, or if they don't have that rule, they have the, I don't want to date a dude shorter than me. So if I'm 5'10", then he needs to be 5'11". Yeah, and there's a lot of that. I mean, you have a lot of women that I think probably feel that way. But it's interesting because according to this article, they've had studies where height is an advantage in the workplace. Taller men are more likely to end up as CEOs. Shorter men are less likely to get access to career opportunities. That says short men are like percentagely mocked much more on social media. And some research suggests that shorter men are much more likely to be depressed than taller men. Well, see, I think that's all just tall is just about, I think they're talking about, I mean, I think it's sometimes if you're short, you don't carry yourself with the same stature as if you're tall. Or if you do, you end up with little man syndrome with a big old truck and a big old fake personality. So I think short dudes have some things they got to deal with to come to grips with who they are so that they can really get down with themselves yeah, and understand just, themselves and love themselves. I mean, it's really, really interesting. I mean, like I, I say all the time, I don't know, like it's, it's, it's my face. I mean, it's just my face. It's what it is. And if you don't like looking at it, don't look at me. Yeah, but bro, yeah, I mean, I think that that is in the minority of opinions because look at how starved we are as a society for likes and this and that. I mean, so the reality is most people do care. Uh, and the fact is you wish that they didn't Yeah. because so much of the world, so much of the drama in the world is based on the fact that you care what other people think. And That's to very the point true. that yeah. you let it affect you. Like, as I used to tell people, and I used to, when I, I talked to my students about this, uh, in my SMU class when we're talking about writing columns, like, yeah, you want everybody to love everything you write, but you have to be good with it when they can't stand it, mm. you know, because otherwise you won't be authentic because you'll always be writing in search of approval. And the reality is you just have to write, and if they like it, they like it, they don't, they don't. But that's easy to say and very hard to live. Yeah, it is. It, it's, it's interesting. That's one of those things I just, I mean, the money and the pain and the time to just add three inches to go from 5'7 to 5'10. And I don't know. I mean, it, it's interesting. It doesn't seem like a lot. Like the, like the difference in that, it feels like to me, I mean, would you even notice? I guess you would. I don't know. 
Um, I would. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, you must. Otherwise, people wouldn't keep doing it. Or maybe not. Maybe they do it and they're like, this is overrated. Because it's two or three inches really that big a deal. And I go, well, maybe so. Because if you're a football player, if you're, there's a big difference between 5'11 and 6'2". That's true. That yeah, is very there's true. Huge, there's a huge difference between it. Uh, so I, there it is. I mean, if you, if you need to get your legs lengthened, 75 grand. <laughs> and they'll just break your femurs and insert a rod. And then over time, you'll grow. And it'll be great. And then you can be a little bit taller. And you'll wish you were a baller. Remember that song? <laughs> Dude, you went way back to yeah, that. I did. <laughs> All right, we got to talk a little Mavs and Stars here. And before we do that, we, we should mention to you Freeway Tire Shop, of course. If you haven't had your car serviced over at JR's shop, Freeway Tire Shop, you're doing it wrong. I mean, you, just, you just flat out. Actually, you know what you're doing is you're dropping it off and you're hoping when you pick it up that they didn't screw you over and you're nervous about it and you don't want to admit it <laughs> because we all have that feeling. You're like, well, I hope, I hope they're right when they call and say something's wrong. The cool thing with JR is, I mean, he'll just flat out tell you, here's what it is. Here's how much it costs. Here's what I can do for you. He lays it all out on the table. And we know this because Jacques has literally had pretty much everything you can do to a car done by JR. No, nah, man, JR and his team over there at Freeway Tire, they're fantastic, and I say that with a capital F-A-N. Uh, but, hey, hey, man, I ride with JR because I've been able to trust him from the start. Um, and I trust him to diagnose what's wrong with the car. You know, that's the first problem. I don't want to keep bringing it back because we keep fixing stuff, and that's not really the stuff that's, that's wrong. Can you diagnose the problem, man? Then can you use quality parts to fix it? Then, how about this? Will you charge me a fair price to fix it? And then once it's fixed, well, you stand behind your work. Man, JR does that time after time after time after time after time. Uh, the prices are great. The uh, customer service is fantastic. I tell everybody, go ride with Freeway Tire. It's the way to do it, man. And you can find out your information. You can schedule an appointment. You can request a quote. Let them know you heard about him on Jam Session. He's going to get you taken care of, man. It is Freeway Tire Shop just north of downtown Dallas. Online at FreewayTireShop.com. So the Dallas Mavericks, I'm stoked for this. Most of you listening to this on Monday, which means tonight, Monday night, the Mavs get underway. Round two of the NBA playoffs. The first time that we could say that since 2011, which is pretty cool. And I get it. Phoenix was 64-18 and 18 in the regular season. Phoenix won eight more games than anybody else in the NBA. Phoenix probably has the best backcourt combination in the NBA with Chris Paul and Devin Booker. They've got crazy good 3 and D with Bridges and Crowder. They've got a, one of the best centers in the NBA and DeAndre Ayton, who just fits what they do so well. This is a really, really good team. But I got to tell you, man, if the Mavs can continue playing the way that we saw them play at times against Utah, I, I mean, this is, not, this is not just roll over and die for the Mavs here, man. I and mean, they got a shot to win this thing. Dude, what if we said... Uh, for weeks now, um, the Mavericks have had the best record or the second best record in the NBA since uh, January 1st. They've beaten most of the good teams um, since January 1st. Uh, they are one of the best teams in the NBA right now, and they're playing like it. They got a superstar, and I'm just going to tell you all right now, Luka going to get you one game, and your defense will probably get you another game. Um, the question is, how do you get those other two? Is it Brunson goes off? 
Is it Kleber hits, you know, 10 threes in a game? Is it Reggie Bullock does it? Somebody else has got to help you get the other two. It's going to be fascinating. This is a really interesting series. And, and a lot of people are pointing out, because I've seen, oh, you know, Mavs didn't beat Phoenix all year. Well, they didn't play Phoenix after the Dinwiddie trade, one. And two of the three games they played Phoenix earlier in the season, Luka didn't even play. So I, I don't know how you're supposed to put any stock into what we even saw this year in the matchups against them. But I will tell you this. One of the things is the defense of Phoenix on the perimeter is much better than the defense of Utah was on the perimeter. Luka could just attack over and over at times Donovan Mitchell, who just seemed like he didn't give a rat's ass about playing defense. Bridges and Crowder can defend the perimeter now. and it, it, I mean, they've got some really good perimeter defenders that are going to make it a lot tougher, but man, if Brunson can do, and there's no reason to think that he doesn't just keep doing what we've seen him do. And if he's that guy, and Dinwiddie can hit some shots coming off the bench, and Powell and Kleba can hit some shots from time to time, it's hard to, to believe that the Mavs are, are the better team but, man, sometimes it just feels like, is Luka going to Larry Bird this thing and just steal a game or two? Well, that I mean, that's what you're hoping for. And you, you well, I put it like this, and we talk about this a lot, man. If Phoenix plays his best basketball for seven games, then they're going to win the series. But, you know, teams don't always play their best. Um, will, Dev, will there be something? Will somebody pull up lame in the series? There's all kinds of twists and turns in the series. But the main thing about the Mavericks is, I think that they believe they're a good team. And so they'll show up and play. When you have a guy like Luca on your team, you just show up and play and see what happens because you're not scared of nobody because you know you got one of the baddest dudes on the planet leading you. So we're going to get a team that's confident, that believes in itself. And let's just see what happens in game one, how they approach it and how they compete and how they go for it. Because even though they lost game one of uh, Utah, I was like, man, they didn't have Luka, and they only lost by like three or four in the last couple of minutes. So mm-hmm. I don't think it's, you know, I mean, it looks like Utah probably win the series. That's how I was thinking like everybody else. But, uh, you know, the Mavericks, uh, let's just see what happens because they came to play in game one. I'm very fascinated by this series. I hope they can get a split heading back to Dallas because the first two games obviously are Monday and Wednesday in Phoenix this is a series where every single game is, it's literally May 2nd, 4th, 6th, 8th, 10th, 12th, and then the game seven will be May 15th. So you kind of get the sequence of how that is. There's one day in between each game. So obviously games three and four of this series would be coming up on Friday and next Sunday in Dallas. The Mavs got a real shot here, man. I, I, I think that this may come down to seven. It's hard to pick the Mavs to win this thing. Because the Suns, honestly, are a better team than the Dallas Mavericks are at this point. And you just wonder, you know, Chris Paul basically just... W- it, Devin Booker came back, and I know he played a bunch of minutes the other night in Game 6 to close out their series against New Orleans, but Chris Paul was perfect, and you just wonder if he's on that mission to overcome the letdown and the pain of last year, and they've spent all year just trying to get back to the finals again. It's really hard to see Dallas winning the series, to be honest. No, I mean, I don't think Dallas wins, but I want to see how they compete and how close they come to winning. Um, I think the Suns realistically will take it in six, uh, but those could be six compelling games 
just like the Mavericks won in six, and you know, two or three of them were one point games uh, or games decided in the last couple of minutes. Uh, I think it'd be a competitive series. And if the Suns don't play their best basketball for any reason, um, I wouldn't be surprised to see the Mavs force to seven and even win it. Uh, that's going to take a lot, mm. though. Take a lot. But when you have a superstar, like a superstar, not a star, yeah, a superstar, and that's what Luka Doncic is, all things are possible, man, because he can take you to a place on some given nights where it just ain't nothing you can do about it. Yeah, and that's the thing is you just wonder, does he have one of those Luka games where the, he, like, he does enough just by himself to kind of overcome anything Phoenix can do and, and really, you know, anything like maybe the rest of the Mavs are having an off night and Luka's like, oh, hell no. And he goes out and does one of those 44, 13, 12 Luka games and we're all like, oh, oh. my God. Oh, I think he's going to do one of those in seven-game series. I think he's got one of those. Question is, how do they win those other games? You know, they won yeah, the series, yeah. man, against Utah because why? Realistically, why? Because Maxi Kleber went off for two games. I mean, Jalen Brunson kind of supplanted Lucas scoring. But then yeah. Kleber, nobody saw that coming. And then he disappeared again. I mean, he just, he just went back to his regular self. So can they have somebody rise up, you know, if Brunson's going to be who he is and Luka is who he is, can they have some other dude on a given night, Finney Smith, you know, score 25, Dwight Powell, 28 one night? Just like, damn, where'd that come from? Wow. Okay. Remember when they won the championship? Remember how Peja Stoyakovic stood up for like two games in the whole playoffs? One of them was game four against the Lakers. Mm-hmm. We had like six threes in the first half. Everybody remembers Jet Terry. Stoyakovic was just as good that day. Or the first game of the Lakers series where Corey Brewer showed up and scored like 10 points in the fourth quarter and had a key steal and a layup. And like we never heard from Corey Brewer the rest of the playoffs. We had one moment. Yeah. Well, do they have some guys on their roster who will have one moment to help them win a game and then go back to being their regular selves? Let's hope so, man. Let, let's hope that Luca's got a couple and that somebody's got what we're talking about, the Corey Brewer level thing, and the Mavs can do this. We'll see. I did think it was interesting. So the Athletic had a preview of all the different series for the second round, and they had this. They had each series looked at by an anonymous scout, an anonymous coach from the NBA, and an anonymous NBA executive. The scout in this article picked the Suns in five. The executive picked the Suns in seven, but the anonymous NBA coach picked the Mavs in six, and this is part of the reason why he gave, and I thought this was interesting, because he said Dallas gets the advantage when their small ball comes into games. Their scoring becomes a lot better with the three-point line, and the Mavs can match up. Brunson and Doncic's playing so well right now, and I think Chris Paul is going to be able to get worn down a little bit like you saw in the New Orleans series with Alvarado guarding him. I think Dallas has bigger defenders that can get into him, and the Mavs can switch between Booker and Paul and create that matchup problem for Phoenix. I like the Mavs in six. Okay. So, and that's a coach. I mean, Sounds again, it doesn't, good to me. It, who knows? It could be some rinky-dink coach. We don't, I don't know. But it's cool that somebody who does this for a living thinks the Mavs can do this and not just do it, but do it in six. That'd be badass. God, I don't want to get too, I can't just, first, just play Go the ahead, series. Man. No, because then you start <laughs> fantasizing like, holy hell, if you can beat Phoenix. You're in the Western well, Conference man. Finals, and then, you know, probably against Golden State. Maybe 
I mean, I don't know. Then what if you can get to the NBA Finals? Probably against Milwaukee. I can't see. I just go down and I can't help myself. I get too excited. The other thing that we have, and and I'm going to say, I'm going to say Suns in seven. I really want the Mavs to win. They finally figured out after two years what it takes to get out of the first round. They got that under their belt. It just doesn't feel like they're at a level that you would expect a team playing in the Western Conference Finals to be at yet. I think they've got some pieces, and it seems like they've got the right coach in Jason Kidd, believe it or not. And maybe I'm wrong, but we'll see. The other thing, there's another team from Dallas in the playoffs. Ah, how about that? The Dallas Stars somehow, someway made the playoffs. They, the team that has about one line worth of crap in a goaltender in the last few weeks in Jake Ottinger that has stood on his head. And, I mean, you talk about a, one of their draft. I mean, that dude is only 23 years old. He's a former first-round pick of theirs back a few years ago. Finally has developed into that guy for them in between the pipes. But, man, they are playing the Calgary Flames in the first round. Game one is in Calgary on Tuesday night. Calgary is a way better team. <laughs> I mean, just look at the point totals, man. I mean, they got 111. The Stars got 98. They were 50 and 21. Whoo, boy. Well, it, and the thing of it is, the Stars are a, a oddly interesting team because they basically are just one line, but that one line is so freaking good that it is. It, it can steal them some games because they get crazy production out of it. Now, you look at Calgary, and Calgary's got, I mean, they've, they've got two dudes who put up 100-point seasons. They had multiple guys that had 50-point seasons. They've got 20 goal scorers all throughout their lineup with that type of potential. They had four guys that scored 35 goals or more. They can score in bunches, and they can do it with more than one line. The stars are literally Pavelski, Robertson, and Rope Hintz. That's their team. <laughs> no, I'm serious. So think of it. They all play on the top line. Pavelski had 81 points. Robertson had 79, and Hintz had 72. It was a 23-point drop-off between him and Tyler Sagan, who had 49. Whew. Yeah. And then there's the old man, Jamie, Jamie uh, Ben with 46 points. Yeah, didn't even score goals, 20 goals, assists. you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, I mean it's... This is a one-line team, and they play solid defense. And obviously with Miro, you know, and, and Klingberg, who's one of the better defensemen, they've got a, a good defense, and they've got a goaltender who's capable. He's young. Maybe he can steal you a game. But, it, I mean, this is the, – the, honestly, the Flames should win this thing in five games. All right. If, if you'll say we'll get one, we'll take that for now. Uh, it's going to be hard. I mean, the, the, I haven't seen the Stars really – been able to put it together in terms of, you know, a, a long stretch of consistency yeah. where they could, um, you know, where they could make some real hay in playoffs and win some games. Uh, so, I, as I like to say, I don't know why it would start right now. Um, but, uh, you know, maybe we'll get lucky. Maybe we do. That would be awesome. <laughs> but I, I, this is not like the run that they went on a couple of years ago in the pandemic where they made the run to the cup finals, th this team is not as good as that team. And it's, it's quite honestly, it's, it's a little bit of a surprise. And I think a testament to Rick bonus of his coaching abilities that they even made it into the playoffs, but they did. They're in the playoffs and playoff hockey is the best kind of hockey.
So if you get a chance, and I will say one thing that I like about playoff hockey, game one is on ESPN2. So everybody can watch it. <laughs> yeah, I've missed watching the stars, man. I know some of y'all chuckle, but yeah, yeah I'm a hockey guy. Uh, but you just haven't been able to watch them this year. And again, they lack consistency, so they haven't begged you to watch them. Uh, I mean, they basically were 500 in, in April with, uh, you know, with yeah. playoffs on the line. And all that tells me is when the times were, were most tense, they still just couldn't put it together and put a winning streak together. Yeah, so game one is on ESPN2. It's Tuesday night at 9 o'clock. Game two will be Thursday night at 9 o'clock, and it is on TBS. And then I think games three and four that are in Dallas are on TNT. One of them is on TNT and one of them is on TBS. I can't remember which is which. But point being, we're all going to get an opportunity to watch some Dallas Stars playoff hockey. Yes, thank you. Which is, and I love when they do it like this. Mavs Monday night, Stars Tuesday. Mavs Wednesday, Stars Thursday. I mean, how great is that for playoffs? It couldn't have lined up any better than that. That means that there's something to watch every day. Yes, sir. So I'm like, Matt, it doesn't really get any better than that. I know, and it's all playoffs. It's all intense. God, I'm, I'm stoked right now. Wait, I mean, what a great time that we're having right now. I ain't mad at you, bro. Now's the time. <laughs> and then, just very quickly, we will wrap it up. But how about this? And I can't wait to give all my Braves friends some crap. The Atlanta Braves, the defending world champions, came into Arlington this weekend, and they took game one, and the Rangers, I think it was four in a row that they had lost at that point. The Rangers won on Saturday 3-1 to one behind a, like a dominant performance from Dane Dunning, and they are in the top of the ninth right now. They are about to shut it out and win game three of this series, 7-3. to three. That would move the Rangers to 8-14 and 14 on the season and taking two out of three against the Braves. Nothing wrong with that, man. Um, they've won a few games lately. I, don't, I think it's pretty easy to see it coincides with better pitching. You know, Martin Perez was excellent the other day. Dane Dunning was excellent. And, you know, the game goes, it's still about pitching, man. Yeah. If you've got guys who can keep it in the park and give you a chance, uh, you're going to win. That doesn't happen most days for the Rangers, but it's happened a lot lately. So. They've been winning. And there it is. It is now final. The Rangers win 7-3, to three, and they move into the win column yet again. Taylor Hearn, by the way, five innings today, only gave up two runs as he picks up the win for the Rangers. So, again, I didn't think they'd be as bad as they were when they started the season. That was kind of surprising. You knew it would be tough because they lost three out of four to the Astros, and then they had lost, I think, five out of six before winning these last two against the Braves. Now they'll go out on the road, and they start a trip. They're off on Monday and they're headed to Philadelphia to start a three-game series against the Phillies here midweek. So some Apparently fun stuff was for the a shutout, too. I mean, it was a uh, sellout. Yeah. How about that? Good. Roof was closed. Sunday home uniforms. Good for the Rangers. Hello, win column, as Mark Holtz used to say. The great Mark Holtz. All right, we'll be back later on in the week. We'll have Todd Archer on our next podcast, get his thoughts on all these Cowboys draft picks and dive a little bit deeper with some of the things that he knows about these guys and conversations he's had. So be looking forward to that. Everybody have a great week and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Jam Session podcast. Make sure to find us on Instagram at Jam Session Cast. Of course, you can also find us on Twitter at McMatt Radio and at JJT underscore journalist. 
Our podcast is sponsored by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you'll have time for healing and renewal. Give them a call at 972-934-8900. Greening Law, Office, Dallas, Texas. As always, thanks to Purple Elephant Music for the music you hear at the end and the beginning of each episode. He, of course, is the radio, TV, and now podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. And me, I'm just a guy, Matt McLaren. We'll catch you next time right here on the Jam Session Podcast, available everywhere you listen to podcasts.